0: Hey, everybody, it's Richard Harris and Scott Leese with a live surf and sales bonfire session. We're really excited to be doing this when It's a topic that I know a lot of people are curious about, um, one that Scott and I are kind of learning. So we decided to go get a couple of experts to join us. So we appreciate um, Lisa Marks, who's the former head of former GM Global Enablement, right, Lisa, at American Express.
1: Close. Global business development. Global
0: business development. So um, she gets it, right? And she was there for like, I've gotten to know Lisa a few times, a lot over the last few months, but she was there for 27 years. So she gets big company. She gets it big time. Um, and then we also have Chloe Stewart. And because we're running late and I'm a little ass dragging, which I'll explain in a minute. Chloe was at a VIP, right as drum roll
2: VP of global sales
0: global sales and now you're over at
2: Randcast
0: Randcast so the reason I'm running a little slow is I actually went out in San Francisco to corporate bros event last night so um it was a good time uh it wasn't crazy but I was still out late and um I feel almost as young as Scott
3: Lee's now so
0: um
3: yeah Richard's bedtime is like 7 30. So <laughs> this
0: is a really oh, big milestone
3: oh. that he actually went. <laughs> right, right after the,
0: the blue plate special. <laughs> so. That's
2: right.
0: Yeah. Uh, so a quick uh, couple of things. So one, um, you know, want to give a shout out to our sponsors of Lead411, Vidyard, Salesforce Sales Cloud, and of course, Gong.io, the leader in um what is their thing, Scott? This is where you need to jump in for me.
3: Conversational intelligence. conversational Game changer in
0: conversational.
3: Conversation.
0: And conversational That's right. So, uh, would love it if people would, by all means, you know, turn on your cameras. We like to have an engaging audience. Um, if you've got questions, please um, put them into the chat, and maybe put the word "question" before it, so then we can go and track it and make sure we get to you. Um, and we'll go through questions, um, you know, sort of throughout. In the, also in the meantime, I would love for people to go into the chat and just tell us where you're you know, dialing in from because it's always sort of fun to see that. And then I'm gonna share one more thing. Do a share screen. I'm gonna put this link into the chat in a second. Can, can everybody see this action plan? Yes, sir. All right, yeah. so this is something we've been doing lately. Um, and I'm going to put a link over into the chat so you can go download it it's on the main registration page again i'm running behind so i couldn't get it to you in a separate link but this is something you know we've been doing for people um if you just go to the bottom of the registration page it'll say click here for your worksheet and it's really what are you going to do you know when when you're going to do it and what's your expected outcome so this is digital Uh, We want to try and give people something to walk away with, something tangible um, so that you can kind of go, oh, that was really good. So feel free to go download this. Uh, I'd love to have you uh, take advantage of it. With that being said, we are here to uh, talk about negotiating with procurement. And I think the biggest thing that I see um, and even I've experienced is, you know, I feel like they're my enemy. Right. And um, that they're there to squeeze everything out of me and that they don't care. Right. Like that's sort of my thought. So I think my first question and, you know, Lisa, I'll toss it to you and then Chloe chime in, like, how do we change that mindset? Like, what is what are we getting wrong about it, but also respecting that they do have a job to do?
1: Right. I'm happy to start the conversation here and, and I'll use my own experiences um, and I always say working through procurement. So the first thing for me is is you walk. I can understand walking in with that mindset. You you know being on the defensive, but I think the first way around that uh, for Richard and others is really understanding what their role is, who they're representing. Again, my experience with procurement is that in many cases, not all, but most, they are actually representing a line of the business, right? So they're executing an RFP. Or a bid situation on behalf of the business line, and so they—they uh, they in fact many times are not the ultimate decision maker. They are part of the decision making, but not the not the one and only in most cases, unless it's under a certain dollar amount, um, you know, or within a certain parameter. So I think the first way to dispel that fear is to understand the role that procurement is playing. Who else is on? Who is in the decision making process? Um, and what success looks like for each of the constituents that are a part of the decision-making, right? And uh, because usually procurement, if procurement's out for procurement goods, they're looking for one thing. The lines of business, lines of businesses, are in many time, in many cases looking for other things that are very different than procurement, right? So I think, and I'm sure Chloe, you've had this experience as well. Is there's more than one decision maker and there's more than one influencer here? So understanding what success looks like for each of the constituents helps you put the procurement piece, even though they're the face of it to you potentially, um, in in the right place and helps you understand what really success looks like.
3: Chloe. Richard, you got to take her off mute. Oh, if I'm and not on then, mute, I'm making. I can
2: noise.
1: just keep talking. And just- <laughs> Lisa, <laughs>
2: yeah. get away. I'm here just to emphatically nod and support what you're saying. No, I actually muted myself, so that was my bad. Thanks for <laughs> finding me, Richard. Um, cool. r- Lisa, really just going to like flavor flavour you right now and reiterate what you said. I think um, one thing to note is that procurement tends to be seen as a faceless RFP or a contract or a scary security questionnaire or something that's non-human. And there are people just like us, as Lisa said. And I think Lisa's point about like, they also have goals and targets to hit just like we do as sales and customer facing folks too, right on the revenue side. And so treat procurement as part of your discovery phase. I think discovery is a lifestyle, not just a stage. I know that's super corny, but same thing. Like what are the questions that you need to ask of them to understand what's important to um, their role? What's their own motivation? And they get a bad rap but sales also get a bad rap so from an empathy perspective right like you know we're seen sometimes as um not the most favorite part of any buying process as sellers and, and procurement has that same piece so i think just as like people it's like oh man okay you have a bad rep just like me how do we work together and work through this together to use lisa's words and i think one thing to note too is that our our champions, like our business stakeholders who we're really spending a lot of time with and interfacing with, they don't really know how to navigate procurement internally either. So it's 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 not just us. Um, and I think what that means is we have to also educate our own business champions and kind of those other stakeholders that you know Lisa was alluding to, um, to help us get in front of procurement and figure out what those goals may be. So there's just a lot of question marks around procurement. And just as you all know, as, as assuming great sellers, the best people in the game, I imagine, are here right now. Um, You know that asking lots of questions and figuring out motivation and whatnot is equally important for everyone. So I would take that, I would look through that same lens when it comes to procurement.
3: Can we go can we go back all the way back to just the very beginning and the basics? Can one of you just define procurement for everybody? What is it?
2: Yeah, totally. I mean Lisa, you're on mute now. Procurement is really the type of team that is comprised of different elements, but as a way to get vendors or suppliers into the business, right? So um, how that looks in practice can be, um, if your service is going to be an approved uh, supplier or vendor, procurement is often involved in approving that. And it can be, it can consist of lots of different layers, security, compliance, uh, legal, uh, data, all of that good stuff can be wrapped up into it. And procurement's often looking at a few different things. Like I think we know them most as like being the cheapos in the room and really wanting to get the cheapest price, but risk mitigation and compliance is equally if not more and important to that. And they're looking at um, you as the potential vendor or supplier um, through the lens of what that entire supply chain looks like for their business.
1: Lisa, that's,
3: you've heard a much- super helpful. Experience. Lisa, what do you wanna add yeah. anything? Yeah
1: so all I would say and I completely agree with everything Chloe just said is is that the thing to remember is that while the goals are different for each group so if they're all pitching you know looking at legal services right legal is looking potentially at things like the content or the expertise or the subject matter expertise then they'll spend a lot of time looking at how much things cost right they they just have a service they want to they want to look at and obtain and so i in my mind procurement does two things. One is they act as kind of the, the centralized unit to collect all the information and the data, right? To go through it, to compare and contrast, point out things that are the same, that are different. Um, but in many cases, when asked what procurement's goal is, it isn't always to, to get the cheapest price. And I and I say that because I think that's the, the mentality we all have walking in. Uh, in many cases, procurement's role is to make sure that things are the most are compliant. Right, that they're they're in a certain order, that they fit all the regulations, that things are compatible with the systems that are in place, um, and in many cases, procurement's goal honestly is to bring as much um, of the company's spend under management as possible. Right, so if total spend for a company is a billion dollars or a hundred million dollars, and they currently only manage twenty million of that, one of their goals typically is to be able to quantify how they either added value, satisfied an internal customer, yes, maybe brought down a cost on something potentially, but also satisfied the need of their internal customer and brought that under their umbrella of management. And that's not an area most people spend time thinking about. And I will toss out one other thing, is that one of the biggest mistakes I think most salespeople make is not asking procurement what success looks like, for each of the people that are on that decision committee. Help me understand what makes you a hero. I love using that line. You know What makes you and procurement a hero? What makes the legal person a hero? When is this a win? And understanding what that looks and feels like across the board and not just for procurement, helps you paint a picture of what it is that you wanna be talking about and the way in which you wanna be talking about it to that company.
3: I am guilty of never once thinking What makes legal a hero? (laughs) That thought has never gone through my head before. This is an epic fail on on my part, as my kids would say. But it's an interesting
1: question, right? It's an interesting question. Yes. Because legal may be looking at something very, very specific. They may want an expert on this particular regulation in this market. That's completely different than what procurement would ever either understand or want to be talking about, yeah. which is different than what risk is looking at, which is different from what finance is looking at. So it's interesting to try and put all those pieces together because you then get a full picture of what it is the ultimate solution may need to look like or sound like.
3: Let's uh, let's bring Drew Ferreira off uh, mute. He's got a good question that I think transitions pretty well off of this. Richard, can you do that? Thought you were doing it. <laughs> I don't have the ability because you are. Um, this is control welcome, welcome to our controls. <laughs> sure to the nap right
1: now. Right. Yeah. Uh, or ask Richard what success looks like for him right now. So.
0: <laughs> <not> taking over.
3: <laughs> Go ahead, Drew. Go ahead, Bud.
0: All right. Awesome.
4: Um, so, so thanks, everyone. This has been super insightful, and I appreciate the the time so far. Um, I think it's helpful, and, and you kind of answered this a little bit, but discussing how procurements generally comped and incentivized, right? Um, and you, you talked about as, you know, what does this look like as a win for you? But um, I find more times than not, you know, they're talking about cost savings or trying to bring pricing down or average order value down, which doesn't generally align with how our reps sell. But I'd be curious, like holistically, what it looks like and how they're generally comped and incentivized.
1: Yeah. I Go ahead,
2: Chloe. I, I honestly have no idea. I've never asked um, anyone in procurement how you get paid. So that's that's like, that's my Scott moment. Um, what I do ask is around like what meeting those goals means. Same, th- same thing as if you're trying to, you know, get any stakeholder in your buying committee to be a champion or to help you bring this home. It's like digging into what are those goals, but what do those goals mean? Like, it's one thing just to ask like, okay, so what are your targets for the year? Like, what does that do for you professionally? Like, can you get a promotion if you meet these costs across the board? Like the same thing that you're doing to try to get the business practitioner on on, on your side of the of the sale to um, really become a champion for you. But I've never thought to ask like, are you on a variable comp or like, do you have a bonus or anything like that? So I, I don't have a good answer there.
1: Um, Drew, I would chime in and, and just say that again, I don't think there is one answer. I think each procurement department functions a little bit differently. Some are able to um get credit for the cost savings to your to your earlier point. Um, but when I'm when I hear that, my first question is so how is cost determined? Meaning it isn't just a flat dollar amount typically, right? So if you can pay less for something, but then it falls apart in six months, is that a cost savings? So what I try to understand is um, how they defined cost and more than that, how they define return. Because usually people will throw out the word cost, but what they really mean is what return am I getting? And understanding how they calculate return helps you understand. And by the way, some of this may just be positioning as well. So I know we used to, uh, in some cases, offer something with a signing bonus and procurement would say, no, 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 I, we don't want signing bonuses, I can't count that. And we're like, okay, so that's an interesting insight. So what do you mean you can't count that? And they said, well, if there's a clawback, we can't count it toward credit for what we brought in until you know that portion of the contract is complete. So what we would do is we'd reposition the dollars within that agreement, get rid of the signing bonus and add it on to the annual piece Um, or offer them an annualized bonus and what ended up happening in in many of these cases is the return is really what they're saying to you even though they say the word cost reduction or we want to pay less so you know i think asking a lot of questions about how they measure return and how they measure credit not just across the whole contract but on an annualized or monthly basis that's where the finance people are very helpful because they probably told those words to procurement, but it's really finance that records them. And so understanding how finance records return and how they measure it and how, when it drops to the bottom line is usually your most important metric to understand. And I think procurement just uses a different language and translates that into, okay, that means, that means I have to get it cheaper when it doesn't necessarily. And that's why you wanna also talk to more than just procurement. During the sales process, you want to have a chance to talk to the finance person that's been assigned to this project, and the risk person, and the treasury person, or whatever the case may be, because you're going to hear some different things from a different vantage point that are going to help you understand what procurement puts under that general umbrella of cost savings.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm going to okay. jump in with some practical advice on this one, um, yep. Lisa. You you shepherded me through this with a with a deal I had recently, um, you know, and Back to Chloe's point, you know, if you think about these different people Lisa's bringing up in these bigger deals, you know, it's kind of like, okay, you know, if I'm going to buy Gong, right? I want the opinion of my team who's going to use it. I want my opinion of the manager. I want the opinion of the VP of sales and the CRO if you can get it. And I think that's kind of, if you sort of take that approach it feels a little more uh, inquisitive sort of where discovery is a lifestyle like Chloe said. So I think that's one important piece. Um, One of the things I I was taught um, was, you know, when I first started talking to procurement was to just say, you know, what is your role here as procurement? Are you here to shepherd me through the process? I know we're going to talk about commercial terms. Like you can sort of acknowledge it. And I think by just saying that, you know, that's going to happen, then it takes a little less stress off you. But you'd be surprised how often the procurement people will say, okay, I'm here to just get you signed up and become a vendor. Other times they're here to, um, make sure that they do get the best price and they'll say it. But once everybody says it, it becomes a little less threatening, right? So asking them, you know, going back again to Lisa's point of how do I make you a hero? It's like, what is your role here with me? Like, I want to be a good vendor. Are you here to just shepherd me through the process? Um, Do I really go back to my, you know, my business buyer to shepherd me through the process? And again, it's just like any other discovery, where's this coming from for you? So those are the questions I've used just to sort of like try to reduce that anxiety. Um, because, you know, procurement comes in too. They're like, oh, great, another salesperson, another dealer. <laughs> you know, so anything we can do to, you know, as we've been saying all along, to make them feel more comfortable is really, really helpful. Um, you know,
1: Richard, and, can I say one thing that you and I went through is the a great example of this that may bring it to life for some of you, and Drew, maybe this is helpful, is payment terms. Yeah. So a price is only a price. If everybody's offering the same 30-day payment terms with a 210 net 30 discount or something, but understanding if finance and treasury may be looking at float, and so- is, and By the way,
0: Stoppers, what do you mean treasury? Like I never heard that word until you said something to me a couple of weeks ago. Like okay. And and again, this is, you know, you're coming from this, you know, (laughs)
2: whole
0: fortune, but but all of us are trying to go upstream. So it's good knowledge. So what does treasury even mean?
1: Treasury is the treasurer or treasury within a company is the company in charge of um, negotiating with banks for all the cash and the loans for that company. Um, and making sure that there's enough cash on hand and making sure that when they need to borrow money, it's done at a certain rate and that they always have enough cash on hand. So they work very closely with finance, who actually runs the daily books of the company. Um, but they are two different functions. Uh, is that helpful? I've tried to keep it really Yeah. So simple.
0: what would so if I'm talking to procurement and I'm walking in thinking they're my vendor set up final uh-huh. price negotiation. Am I turning around and asking them to say, hey, do you have this treasury group, you know, is, you know, how are they looking at this in terms of, you know, where this is coming from outside the actual team budget that is coming from? Like, where does, is that, and is that how we ask it? I guess maybe my question is, well, what would we ask? Even if we don't know that they have a treasury department, um, you know, they do. Yeah. how would you even a- approach the subject?
1: So I'll say it. And then Chloe, I'd love your perspective because you come at this from a very different angle than I do. So what I might say is when we're coming down to the final negotiations and it's about price, and I might ask what assumptions is this price based on? Is this price that you're looking for that I've offered based on the fact that you're going to pay me every week? Or is it based on the fact that you're going to pay me in 60 days or 120 days, right? There is a there's a cost involved there, right? So if you're assuming, you, if, if the answer will come back, oh, we have everybody on 60 day pay. Okay, well, what if I offered you that price in 90 day pay and you could hold on to your money 30 days longer? What's that worth to you? You see what I'm doing? What I'm trying to do oh. is to open up different factors that all come to price, but it's more about return than it is about the actual price of the item. Cause it's not just the price of the item you're selling. You're selling float for a lack of a better term, right? You're selling time to pay and time for them in some cases. In some cases, if you're buying Apple equipment, you prepay. So there is no float. You have to prepay before they'll send you a phone. But it depends on what it is that you're selling um, and how it's being sold. But to me, that's one of the biggest misses by sales folks is not taking advantage of having a financial discussion beyond the cost of the product to the customer.
0: Could you also bring this up? I know we're going to go on, but is it worthwhile, you know, you know, if Chloe's my business buyer, right? Like I'm selling to Chloe, but then she's got to turn it over. Is it smart to say, hey, Chloe, do you know how all this stuff works? So then I can at least try to make Chloe a hero. So internally, does that help or does that not, or is that making Chloe look unintelligent, which I wouldn't want to do. And I
1: know, no, not unintelligent. no, we see, I would just say it differently. I'd say, so is there a component in here around payment terms, meaning what assumptions did you make, right? What assumptions has the company made? You don't say you, but has the company made around speed of pay, that's what we call it, speed of pay, right? And if you don't know, is there someone who's been assigned to this project in your finance or treasury group that I could chat with really quickly, just to understand um, what assumptions are built into the speed of pay for this particular item or product? Um, your goal is to get, to talk to that person, not to have your procurement person try and do it for you because you okay. just want to widen your web of stuff you might hear in intelligence. That would be how I would approach it. Yep. Again, I don't want to overcomplicate this. I know for many of you, you, you this isn't a, a realm you may have gone into, but it's an interesting one to think about because it puts you in a place where you're not so easily compared then to everyone else who's bidding because you're offering up other ways for the company to make money and to profit from this purchase.
0: That's great, how to profit from the purchase. I love that. So we've got a question coming in from MJ um, and, and Chloe, You know, we'll, we'll give you a chance to, to answer this one, so.
5: Yeah, thanks. Um, yeah, I'm admittedly newer to the procurement uh, process, dipping into end and price sales. So part of this is uh, me just trying to understand the language and you know really be credible to procurement or my prospects or my champion. Um, so Lisa, you talked a little bit about, and Chloe, I'd love your perspective as well. Talked a little bit about like the constituents of a decision-making committee within procurement. I would love to understand Who are those people? Like, what are some of those common roles? Even just like straight title examples are helpful for me. And then when you talk about lines of business that they're tied to, I mean, we've talked about like finance and treasury groups, right? Like those are, those are areas that are unfamiliar to me. Uh, So I'd love to understand kind of, I guess, three things. So the roles of who some of these DMs are within procurement examples of lines, lines of business. And then when we talk about what does success look like, I'm sure those vary across those roles. So a pretty loaded question, but um, high level is great here, so thanks.
2: Totally. And I think it's, it, this is a, a shitty answer. So my apologies, but it totally depends on who you're talking to, like what the industry is, what the company Here's is. There's the
0: title of the episode, everybody. This is a shitty I answer. Love
2: it. <laughs> <laughs> but so with that said, I mean, Lisa already hit on, I think, broad, when broad strokes, like, well, no, I, and Lisa, you got very specific too, but like, who are some of the key players? The titles might change. And, and just one tactic that you can introduce, which is probably what you're doing in your discovery calls with a new stakeholder, anyhow, is, you know, talk me through your title and what your role really means. Like every, you know, like, hey, you're a CMO. I talk to CMOs every day, but I come to find out every CMO does something a little bit different. So, you know, talk me through like, what are your major, you know, KPIs, roles and responsibilities, et cetera. So using almost that same type of of questioning when you're getting access to procurement and like, my recommendation is to try to get access to procurement as early on as possible, especially as you're beginning to forge this kind of territory within your new within your role right now, MJ. So congrats on moving the enterprise. That's very. Thanks. So finance for sure, legal, security and compliance and it could either be security or compliance but in certain organizations they are in their one team one dream um treasury as lisa says if it is like sort of a like a traditional enterprise where there is components of finance that do play into this process um, um what am i missing what am i missing we said legal who else one thing too that you can take a look at is if you ask what is the actual sort of like tactical procurement process so is it an rfp is it a security questionnaire like asking your stakeholders what what is in that through that you can look at those various components and then begin to kind of map to the people who are in charge of each of those pieces and i mentioned that because again often in my experience when i'm talking to folks on the business side who are the ones who are ultimately like the business decision makers they have no idea how this all plays out in their organization. Um, And so you have to educate them early and asking those questions as early on as possible. Like, hey, let's just say that you decided that Surf & Sales is the best uh, copy machine company that there is, and you wanna use us in all of your global offices. I don't know why you guys sell copy machines, but you do now. Um, What does that process look like for getting these installed and blended, et cetera? And your buyer's gonna be like, oh man, like, Great question. So through that you can begin to educate them on how to pull those titles for you too. And I say do that as early as possible because um, forecasting can be tough here. Um, Sometimes it can be clean as day because if you do have this level of kind of sophistication in the process, they know exactly what their timelines and deadlines can be. It might not be the timing that you want, which is why spoiler alert always have a full pipeline, but it, can, it that this is the stuff get, that can throw a wrench in the wheel when you're in your like Friday forecast meeting with your leaders. And you're like, yep, surf and sales, copy machine is going to close next week. And then it ends up being like next year. Right. Um, anyway, I kind of answered your question and then kept talking, which is rude of me, Lisa, what did I miss in terms of kind of major roles or titles?
1: I don't think you did what I was going to offer up. And you guys tell me if this is helpful or not. I was going to do a little pretend story to show how this might come to life a little bit. So I come from the world of credit cards and, but you could, you could sub in any service you wanted, right. Or any product. And we were out bidding on a, on a large deal. And we were told to fill in a grid and we were trying to differentiate ourselves. And so we asked to interview the following. And many of these people were not even on the procurement committee. So this even goes a little bit further. We asked to talk to people that actually are going to hold the credit cards, the sale, their, their employees. What's important to you? Oh, the, you know, the, I don't like collecting the receipts. I don't like this. I want to feel special when I present the card at the hotel lobby. But they had one whole set of what success looked like for them. We then went to admins. What are they looking for? Totally different. We want automation we, if we have questions on the expense report, we know we don't have anybody to call, right? So their whole set of needs was different. We went to finance. They were all about the reporting of the expenses and, you know, how do you categorize it and how do I know if there's a mischarge and and what about billbacks and and things of that nature? We went to the partners in the leadership and they had overarching goals around the intel that these, um, credit cards could bring them in terms of how to lower future supply chain costs. I mean, we were so all over, we went to procurement and they were interested in how they can quantify um, the savings. And again, that's difficult here in, in this particular case. And how do they, there I asked every month to supply a um, presentation to their executive board on what they're overseeing, right? So their needs were completely different. We were able to kind of pull all those pieces together, And yes, we offered a price like everyone else, but we offered answers to all of those different constituent needs as part of our offering. And all of a sudden, you couldn't compare our offering to anybody else's, right? Because ours included reporting and tactics and a hotline and, and free hotel nights and things that no one else was offering. So when we talk about everyone's role in the procurement process. It could be formal, just like Chloe said, she was exactly right with someone from legal on the committee and someone from marketing and someone from risk and compliance, but there's also that softer stuff, right? There's who's gonna be using the product, who's gonna be judging the product, who's gonna be assessing it, who's gonna be forecasting and what are all their needs? And not all those people are gonna be on that committee, but right. those that's where the gold comes. So between what Chloe said and what I said, that's your gold. That's yeah. what separates you during that process from everybody else. Was that helpful?
5: Yeah, really helpful. Okay. Um, are there ways where you guys just figure out how to get to procurement when we say early and often right away? I mean, in the past, I've literally just asked my champion, would it be easier if I took work off your plate and you just intro me directly? But I'm curious if there's any other sort of ways to, to get to them and then I'll shut up and let everybody else ask questions, so thanks. <laughs>
1: Um, I mean, I'll chime in and say uh, the higher up you get in the enterprise and in bidding, the more procurement's going to be in the front seat anyway. Um, so you, it'll be less and less of an issue. But I love the idea of just asking. I think it's a fantastic point. Not everybody does. Most people take what they get. And in the fact that you're asking about other people's roles and getting in touch with them directly, the more you can widen your net and talk to more and more people, the more nuggets you're going to get. To help you understand how to differentiate your sale
2: and i think that point is so golden least just a differentiation piece i mean i don't know how many times some of us have gotten in front of um any component of procurement legal let's just say as an example and legal is reviewing your contract or your msa your terms etc and they have zero insight or um uh, understanding of how your business operates right like so they're asking for things to change, but that goes completely against your business model, if that makes any sense. And so to Lisa's point, if you can engage with these folks as almost an education play, so you can mitigate the amount of time that is spent answering some of these basics that you went through maybe even like months and months ago with your, your business champions. Um, it's just, a, it's, it's so useful and such a great way to be more time efficient. So I love what Lisa said about differentiation.
1: I Your point, Chloe, I would work legal as early as you can and work it in parallel. So, as you get to basic business terms, you ask. And the earlier you ask, the better. Would it be okay if I began to engage with legal? Because that's shit takes a long time.
5: And the more that
1: you can do it early, the further along you get before anyone else has time to touch it. And you look like an easier answer.
2: Absolutely. And on that note, too. Each of your businesses probably have your own non-negotiables internally when it comes to terms and different things that you will and will not do. And so first of all, like make sure you know those like the back of your hand. If you're, especially if you're in a startup and you don't have um, like a security legal procurement playbook, like I recommend getting something done so you know where what levers you can pull but you also know where you're absolutely not going to move. Right. And so as Lisa said, like sometimes um, unique billing terms are a great amenity to add. Some businesses definitely don't allow that. Right. So you need to know where you stand because if that comes up and it truly becomes something that you can't move and it's a non-negotiable for them, you're going to lose a deal, lose it early. So it's, there's nothing more heartbreaking to you and to your company. If you're like eight months down the road, and then you find out that like, HIPAA compliance is an absolute and your company is in HIPAA compliant, which I don't know, weird example, but you just gotta walk away.
5: Anyway, that's all I'll say about that. That was great. Thank you.
3: We've got a we've got a follow-up question from Andrea who wants to piggyback. Yeah. you back.
6: Yeah. Go ahead, Andrea. Hello, thank you so much. So Chloe and Lisa, um, I'm actually in a funny situation where my champion is procurement. They both actually are the ones who initiated the conversations with me. And I'm struggling to get into conversations with the other members. And I, I feel like I want to communicate I'm in a marketing adjacent field. So getting into those conversations with the marketing and the creative teams earlier on is where I show my most value. Um, And that's not to say that procurement doesn't understand what my values are, what my benefit is, but um, I I don't want to go around my procurement champions at all. I would never disrespect them in that way. And I've brought up hey, I'd love to talk to marketing. I would love to see what their goals are and how I can best support them, their processes, et cetera. But I keep getting hit with, just send it to me, I'll forward it to them. And so I'm not finding out what do you want? What do you care about? Um, Any suggestions, anything you can talk to on that side?
2: I mean this is not a great answer in a lot of ways but like walk away after a while like if you if your sales process and if if you are like a value-based sell whatever i know like vague, stupid sales terms but like if you if your way to win is by establishing value by quantifying impact by showing roi with the actual business users or the knowledge workers whoever it is that you just said like kind of your key buyer persona is if you don't have access like you're you're chasing your tail more often than not in my experience it's almost like if someone sends me an RFP and I have very little context into the actual business problem that they're looking to solve, like I'm just giving money away. Like I think about it as like, here I am just doing work and I'm not making commissions and I'm losing money out of my own pocket. That's kind of an extreme thing to say, but you really have to take a look at how do you win what's been proven in your motion and your process and who are the the key contributors and stakeholders in your buying committee and buying process that leads you to that win. And if you're at a wall, like I think it's just an important note to be like, can I get here and and can I win this or not? And one way to do that is to be totally upfront with the, the folks who you have access to right now. Like, listen, I historically don't partner with folks if we go down this road, like it just doesn't work because You know, our approach as a business is X, Y, and Z to solve these certain problems for these types of people to help them blah, 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 insert all the things that you already say brilliantly and beautifully and procurement. If they can't, if they hear that from you and they're still unwilling, like you just need to take a hard and fast look at where you're spending your time. That's my kind of not great advice there, but I've been, I've been effed so many times in moments like this. My teams have too. It's really a moment of figuring out where you are. It's really difficult to make that decision. Again, if you don't have like a hefty and ample pipeline, if you have other things to work with that are gonna close sooner and pay you out faster, like that should be your priority. If you don't, then I know that it's easier to hang on to deals like this where you might be at a crossroads. So probably not the answer you're looking for, but I would just like be really critical, like examine that critically to see if if that's where you're at. I
1: would just add on, because I think that's, That's one of the best things and best piece of advice you'll get on this call is what Chloe just said is to know when it's time, but I'd offer up three things um, that that go along with that. One is if your opportunities do arise where procurement comes to you and says, we're interested in this. So you're in that position, but where you have a prospect list, your off cycle time is your best time. So when someone's not under formal bid, you can talk to anybody you want, they don't care. Right. So your goal is to have some of these conversations when it's possible off cycle before the formalized bidding starts. Because once it starts, all the doors start closing and everybody gets really formal. That's one thing. The next thing is you can make an attempt to say, look, my goal here is not only to offer you the best product or service, but to make you successful. In order to do that, what is helpful to me is to get a better sense of the needs of the line, you know, of the business unit that you're representing. Would you be open to setting up a call for the three of us? What they don't want is to be cut out, right? For the three of us to chat for a few minutes. That also can work. The third way, which goes closer to what Chloe was saying, is to say, look, we're, We get pitched all the time. We get requests for bids all the time. We actually can't accommodate all the requests we get for bids. So in order to make sure that we have the best solution for a company, we require some kind of communication with the line of business that's actually making the request. Um, We'd love to help you, but that is something we require because we don't want to waste your time. We want our time wasted. If we don't believe we actually have the best solution, we wanna put you in touch with a company that does. And in order to make sure that that happens, we require a quick conversation. Could you help set that up for the three of us to have a quick talk? Something like that, Um, they don't always work. But if you can't get them to say yes in any one of those three scenarios, to Chloe's point, not gonna be an A-level prospect not worth you prioritizing your time, move on to a company and a prospect that's going to open their doors a little bit to ensure that they're going to get the best solution.
2: I also love the, the just the, like, this isn't a great use of your timeline is so good. I mean, like, really, like, let's be real, like, we're being selfish with our own time, but like, you're making, you're still being super buyer centric. And, and it shows that level of empathy and humanity there where you're like, listen, like, I'm trying to help you out, but I, it's. I'm gonna actually just waste your time if if yeah. we don't do it this way. I've been yeah. here before, so I think it's a really great just like line to use, Lisa. That's that's a great one. We've so, we've got helpful. So,
3: we've got what I think is um, the best and most difficult question so far. So I'm excited to have Jeremy come off mute.
4: Okay. So stretch.
3: Right. There you go, Lisa. <laughs> here he comes. Okay, guys, uh, hopefully my the wind's
4: not uh, hitting my uh, wireless earphone too much here, but um, my question was centered around metrics and benchmarking within procurement and procurement staff managing to a number and a price only and, and disregarding things like overall cost of patient care and and return based on clinical data. I, just to put it in perspective, I came from implantable cardiac rhythm device, um, I I don't sell implantables anymore, but I'm in that space on the follow-up side now. Um, and it's a it's a thing I've encountered in multiple RFPs and it's a difficult topic to negotiate around because I think end user physicians understand it, but procurement is not incentivized in order to care about.
2: What was the last part, Jeremy? I'm so sorry. I
4: I just I think that the the long-term cost of patient care and some of the downstream savings drivers of a particular technology are not numbers that procurement is always incentivized on.
2: Gotcha, yep, totally. Um, I think what Lisa said earlier about like, so if this is, if so, and just to clarify, this is like you're handed an RFP, presumably you're not having a lot of dialogue at this point. It's just, it's completing this and, and handing it back to some extent. Is that fair? I'm just gonna say it's fair. Yeah. Um, because I think Lisa's sorry
3: I'm, I was trying to unmute there it was
4: uh anyways it, yeah it, in a certain sense yes it's trying to hold on to pricing premium uh in an environment where you know you've got floors from your own company um and you're trying to maintain price in an environment where you think you have downstream savings and value drivers um that that make it worthwhile to hold on to price and not go down yep
0: Does that make sense? Yeah. So how do we how do we get that? How do we get to that? To getting the procurement people to see that piece, I think is maybe the question.
1: Yeah. Um, Chloe, I'm I'm happy to take a shot at this one. This is hard because some of this is very nuanced and, and very specific to particular types of sales. But what I would say is, if I were presented with this, nope, it's about this. We're right on. We we need this price and blah blah blah. That. The, the things that came to my mind were is taking a step back saying, so you seem pretty adamant about <laughs> this being the metric. Help me understand how you're measured and how you're gold, right? So because are you gold based on that number? Like trying to, trying to uncover it, start peeling back the onion a little bit, trying to understand why they're so stuck there. Um, the other thing that came to my mind as you were speaking on price premium is price, again, this is what I naturally do now, prices, so is that the price for um, 100 units or is that the price for one year, right? Like I might be able to get you to that price, right? If I could get 18 months. So we used to mess around with length of time as well, a number that they seem to have to have, but to do it in a way that also accommodated our economics and our modeling and so my, my other question would be, are there other things that you can inquire about that surround that number? So again, length of time, payment, are there, there's other pieces that, that build into your economics um, that may allow you to maintain that price premium, just maybe in a slightly different format than, than you may have been presented with or have pitched thus far
2: and Lisa, what you said, I think earlier on in this conversation around what are some of those other levers that you can pull to get to that price within a certain amount of time is like really, really key. And so again, it's like, how do you, and and Jeremy, this is where it gets tricky. Like, I don't know the the situation, like if you're handed an RFP and then it's really hard to gain access to a person to speak about it, like that can be tricky. There's usually the Q and A that you have with the other vendors in advance or within that process, but, um, it's, Lisa's point like if you can get as much internal information around how this plays out in practice for them like practically speaking how do they think about gaining these savings like then you can put together a few different options and one thing that you can always do and I'm sure most of you know this with um with RFPs or pricing is to submit like three different options at one time right so you can have if you're unable to have in-depth conversations to Lisa's point, and Lisa just gave everyone like such good information throughout this entire call of like what to ask, what levers to pull. You can put together three different options and then really clearly articulate where the savings comes through um, and what those differences are. And mostly people accept that. So it gives you more optionality on your side where you can kind of stick to your own guns there too, but you're still showing flexibility. And also it can make it easier if you don't really have time or you're not given access to a conversation.
1: It also, Chloe, your point, you, by showing those three scenarios, and I love that idea, you can actually back into how you get them to that ultimate price that they said they were looking for. You may have done it in different pieces or through a different method, but if you can showcase how you can get them back to that price point that they said they had to have, um, even if you got there through other levers, that usually will fly. What they're really looking for is an explanation that they can take internally and sell it as to how they won and how they brought success into the company through this process. So if you That's can really showcase really how that played out, you're good.
3: Really good point. Kason. you're next. Kason has a question. Awesome. Thank you. Well, and actually this piggybacks pretty nicely off Jeremy's question, because I think I was going back to Lisa, your example of the cardholder services and like identifying at each level of the organization, how is this being utilized? What's important to them? Um, and I think that's sort of the same thing where you're recognizing and articulating value that maybe the company isn't valuing as highly on their RFP. So similar to what Jeremy is discussing, like how do you bring, like ensure that that's being considered and it's not just like, you know, striving after wins, sending information they don't care about, even if it's going to be a huge like driver for, you know, maybe a soft ROI of improved culture and like just overall satisfaction. It's really how do you make sure to like be the thought leader and present that in a way that it compels them to take it into consideration if they haven't previously.
1: Um, I guess I'll start. <laughs> I thought the trust- I'm really
2: not trying to pass the buck to you.
1: <laughs> no, 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 it's fine. One of the things that that I've leveraged in the past, um, just to try and and open up the conversation to make sure that what I'm presenting um, or what we're talking about actually has value or generates value, is to talk about the industry. So what we might go in and talk about is, you know, you put out this RFP. By the way, we have six of the other. 10 folks that are top of their game in your industry, just like you. And let me tell you a few things that your peer set is focused on, right? Here are a few things that are most important to some of the folks that you compete with on a daily basis. These are the areas, so we're happy to accommodate the requests you've made in these three buckets, but there are three other buckets that we seriously think you need to consider and that your peer set in the industry puts top of the list. And so you start talking about them in comparison to their peer set, everybody's ears perk up. So it's not just about you trying to sell them on something, it's about stuff and in, um, intelligence in their industry that they're unaware of. And that way you're also seen as more of an expert versus a salesperson. So um, Chloe, I don't know if you have anything to add or if you'd
2: And even if the way in which you're articulating that information is in a response, Uh, you know, to a proposal request, you have the opportunity to do that, right? So for example, if there's a way in which the problem is presented, but you know, because you're an expert in this space as well, that their business problem could actually take a different layer to it. Like take what Lisa just said and use those industry insights. You get to kind of just like shape that a little bit. You don't have to only color between the lines, you know what I mean? And to that point it's like can you also leverage testimonials from your existing customer base who are you know like minded people care so much about what other people do like we are nosy af right so like if you can kind of lean into that it's an advantage for you and it makes you look really sharp the other thing too is understand understand your competitors like the back of your hand always just in general for life, um, because you know that those knuckleheads are probably being um, solicited to for some sort of uh, response. And so if you can also think about how you're approaching your answers in a way that has you stand out from the competition as it pertains to those business problems, it's like, that kind of like implicit bitchiness that I love. Like you're not calling anyone out by name, but you are you are positioning yourself as the leader. And so coupling that with those industry insights that Lisa says, like you can really put your your best face forward, even in a limited engagement that is literally a written response back to somebody. If you have the opportunity to actually present, which is I know really stressful and could be super fun though, then you have more ammo and you can, you know, win them in that way too. But you can really use just like a written response
0: back to your advantage in those ways. Great, We're gonna um, go over to, to Nate in a second for his question, but first, um, this has flown by. This has been super fun and ridiculously knowledgeable. So thank you, Lisa and Chloe for for jumping in. And actually, Scott and I just sort of shepherd people in and out, so we're happy to you know make it easy for ourselves. Um, <laughs> but you, know, a quick shout out again to our to our sponsors of Salesforce, Sales Cloud. Lead411, Vidyard and gong.io, uh, the game changer in conversational intelligence. Uh, and so Nate, what, what is your question, sir? Yeah, so
7: I wanna say thank you for everyone. The great questions and great answers. I really appreciate it. So my question is around, and I assume this is more widely known like a white sheet. And it was, it was a Motorola solutions thing where you would go in to sell something and I'm in the semiconductor space so, you know, they want to know what's your process, how many, you know, inches is the wafer, all of those pieces. And then they tell you how much each piece should cost and then tell you what your price should be. Um, and I, I kind of put this in there. My answer has always been, we don't do that. You know, like we, we talked the solution, we've lost deals um, and we've had, you know, new procurement P- VPs come in at some of our biggest customers and, um, you know, Try and pull this on us. Um, virtually every customer that I've ever lost out to on this two years later is back uh, buying for me because they realize that the solution they need is more important than the the cost. But I'm wondering how you've encountered that and if there's maybe a better way to address it.
2: Yeah, I mean, procurement can do that, right? Like they can literally try to look at the cost per unit and not look at like the overall value of the solution. And you know, as most, you know, sellers in this day and age, like we're really trying to sell a, a holistic solution tied to business problems and not just, you know, like, we're not just trying to talk about price here and there by, by each unit. And um, I think that procurement can tend to come in and really try to take apart your overall um, proposition by doing things as tactical as like, what's the cost per each piece? What that allows them to do is compare like those economics by each of those like actual like units to your competitors and come back with something. But that's just silly because that's like not how your business presumably operates, right? me, right? And this, again, take this with a grain of salt because we don't always have the privilege of getting to run our sales process um, as we would like to with procurement being involved. Sometimes we're just handed this white sheet or an RFP without that context. What you really want to do, of course, if you can, is establish that value with the business folks on the side of the of, of the of the, the table and your on your buying committee so they can kind of co-sell with you, right? It's like that same champion play. If they can come in and tell procurement that they're being a little bit silly on your behalf and and just reinforce the overall value of that complete solution, use them to your advantage. Now, I, again, I understand that sometimes you don't have that opportunity, but it's it's if you can try to make that happen, it's your, I would think one of your, your strongest advantages.
1: Um, Chloe, the only other thing that I would add to that is, cause I think you're right. And this is one of those, if you have a business model that that allows you to say, uh-uh, we will not participate in an RFP, right? That, that only and exclusively functions on the cost per piece or the cost per part or whatever the case may be, then you need to, I would proudly say to people, you know, we don't price this way and this is why. The this is why is super important. But then you also have something else because that once you've done that, you have nothing to lose, correct? And this is one of those few times when we would upon occasion go in top down and just give a little follow-up, whether it's to the head of the business line, which is usually a nice, and you have someone really senior send that note, or reach out. Um, a senior to senior contact to say, look, we just wanted to acknowledge that we're sorry, we were not able to participate in your RFP based on how it was structured and the exclusivity to you know, parts and pieces. Um, we work this way, this is why, and this is why we have X number of people in your industry. This is why our retention rate is this, this. you give them all the stuff you would have wanted to say had you been given the opportunity And you say, it's we're disappointed that we were unable to participate because of the restrictions you placed on potential bidders. We look forward to the opportunity in the future to serve you. I got to tell you about 70% of the time, all right, someone up top who gets that is trickling that shit down and letting some people know whether it's in procurement or the business that this is bullshit, right? It's not the best solution. So- so who, who do you
0: go to, Lisa, who do you go to to do that? I'm glad this came up. So do you go to your CEO? Like, do you find someone at an executive level who is connected with someone over there? Or do they do it blindly? Like, what, what is the...
1: We try and find a connection like a CFO to CFO or the head of, you know, this unit with ours. We've even had our chief procurement officer reach out to the chief procurement officer at a company and say, look, I totally get what you guys are doing. I'm in the business of trying to save money too. But my team just wanted me to communicate. If you can't find a connection, then I would suggest that you're going to the head of the business unit that put out the RFP, not the procurement people who executed it, but the business line that actually wants to procure something, you know? So the SVP of marketing or whatever whatever that is, um, or the SVP of IT or, I'm trying to be relatable and I'm not, so sorry. But, and you want someone in either a similar function or someone senior enough, like I might have my CIO reach out in the case, Nate, that you were talking about. Why not? My CIO can relate and can talk about that probably intelligently and send a note saying, I just want to let you know our team was bummed that we couldn't participate because of the restrictions you guys put on. We've got X percent in the industry. We know we could do a good job but we wish you luck. We're, you know, we're just sorry we couldn't participate based on your restrictions. That works a lot.
0: So. I wanna jump in and I'm gonna give because I know we got to wrap up and it, yep. it didn't come up, but I wanted to give one piece of advice that I learned early um, when working with procurement was when you get to that point and the price isn't getting to where you are and you're feeling like you've lost the deal, yeah. it is okay to say to the procurement person, hey, you know, maybe I can go back to Lisa and see if she can pull some budget from somewhere else, Mm -hmm. right? Because Lisa can try to go get additional budget. So I just want to make sure that like, because we always get to procurement again, we sort of started with, oh my gosh, you know, we have this negative thing. Just because they say no, doesn't mean you can't go figure it out and you can go back to your business person. And oftentimes they'll go find more budget or they'll get an additional approval, right? Everybody's got a little something somewhere. So, um, so again, it's, it's a nice way to do it. And procurement's not gonna be offended by that. In fact, they're gonna be glad that, oh, you can go take that back to them in a lot of places. So um, anyway, this was, this was really good. Um, thank you, Lisa and Chloe. Like This has been fabulous and super insightful. Um, for all of this stuff, because it's just not a topic that's
3: covered yeah. very much. So. This is the first show that we've done where I can honestly say there is no possible way I could have had this conversation.
1: <laughs> I don't believe you, but thanks for saying it. Uh-huh. Believe
3: me, this is, this is beyond me. So this has been awesome.
0: Come on, Lisa, you, you coached me through this. So you can only imagine, you know, with Scott, like, would you imagine what if Scott walked in with that beard and hat backwards talking to a procurement
3: person, right? No, that might be the only way I actually win the deal. This is true. This is true. So they would ignore everything I say and they're just like, I feel bad for this guy. Let's just give it to him. But
0: Thank you again, day. Lisa and Chloe. I put everybody, I put your LinkedIn profiles in the chat for people to connect. Thank you, everybody for your time today. We really appreciate you showing up and sticking around. So um, we'll be doing some other bonfire sessions uh, in July. We're gonna do one about building a coaching culture. so that's coming up, so pay attention to look out for that one
3: and uh, we'll see you again next time. Thanks, everybody.
6: Thanks for having us. Bye. Thank Thank you. you.